everyone and welcome to episode 85 of the retrospectors podcast star wars republic commando my name is patrick arthur and i'm joined as always by my co-host james turlings james we're back again in the star wars universe our last star wars title we covered was pod racer this time we're going for maybe a more traditional star wars title although i know this has occupied a niche of its own that's never really been replicated yeah i mean it's good to be back with the series it doesn't feel like too long ago that we were here in the uh era of the republic with the uh, pod racer episode but you know it's good to be back i have realized over the course of these two games that i actually do really enjoy this era of star wars even if the the prequel movies maybe not so hot plot wise um i've always kind of loved the visual design and the aesthetics of this era of the series um so getting to experience it in game form which is largely free of all the terrible plot holes from from the prequel movies is quite nice yeah i think you've tapped into something that's pretty true which is that the world building of that era is is very enjoyable and i think that one of the most intriguing aspects of the entire series are the clone troopers. Like the second movie, Star Wars movie, is complete rubbish and for me is the worst. But that bit where Obi-Wan goes to the weird mystical place where he, you know, finds out about the clone troopers is a very enjoyable segment of an otherwise rubbish movie. I kind of agree. Um, I've always, I feel like every time I watch that movie, I either... Like, I like parts of it a lot, and I really dislike other parts of it, like the spectacle's always alright. And then all of the stuff involving Anakin sucks balls, <laughs> basically. Uh, but I've always loved the design of the, the droids of this era, the, the, the Separatist and Federate droids. It seems fitting, then, that we're doing Star Wars Republic Commando, which is uh, puts us, you know, directly in the, in the helmet of, uh, of some of these commandos. H- had you heard of this game before, or had you played it? I actually hadn't. Um, I, this was originally released as an Xbox title, um, and I had never owned that console as a kid, um, and nor did I, you know, ever seek to play it out on PC. So, um, you know, it was interesting going back to this one, having actually not heard of it before you mentioned it. Yeah, like I said in the last show, I remember reading some reviews of this. I used to get PC gaming uh, magazines back in the day, and it was like the kind of title that got a 7 out of 10. But it always intrigued me and i always wanted to play play it but uh i never had the time and i thought well this is a great opportunity to explore it um so before we dive into that uh for those who have never listened to us before james and i make up the retrospectors podcast each and every fortnight we play classic or niche uh titles of the past with the intention of figuring out if they've truly stood the test of time and are worth your time to play today This is not a nostalgia podcast. We're not here to reminisce on our memories or try to evaluate these titles and the context in which they are produced. We just want to know if they're worth your time to play today, if these old games stand equal to the games released today, or even if they stand above them on their shoulders. Uh, And we found that as we've been doing this show, we find titles that are just as worthy, if not better. And equally, we find games that do deserve to be forgotten and left in the ashes of history. Uh, yeah, so Star Wars Republic Commando. So for those who haven't heard of this title before, um, it's a tactical first-person shooter developed by LucasArts. 
and was first released in 2005 for Xbox and PC, with Xbox being the leading leading platform. The PC version was a port. Uh, it's seen a release to PlayStation 4 and Switch just extremely recently. It was earlier this month, April 6th, 2022. So you play as uh, one of these Republic soldiers. Uh, you play as Soldier 38 boss. And you head up Delta Commando Squad, comprised of you and three other soldiers. 62, 40, and 07, or as they're known more, uh, more commonly in game, Scorch, Fixer, and Sev. And basically, you're an experimental batch of soldiers that has had, you know, specific tailored training to bring you above and beyond your standard Republic soldier. The entire game is just three different commando operations, so three missions. And these three missions are about, you know, two to three hours long each. Although James and I were talking, it seems that the actual amount of time we spent playing varied, but somewhere between six and 12 hours, which is a fairly wide, widespread, but, uh, you know, your experience may vary depending on difficulty and how you approach these missions. So I played on PC uh, with, a, with a mod. I played with the Republic Commando Fix mod, which allows for widescreen, increased field of view, and fixes up some bugs, uh, most notably mouse acceleration, which uh, makes the game virtually unplayable without it. it you you can barely move your mouse so you, if you're going to play this game on pc you must uh install this republic commando fix mod and we'll include a link to that to the show notes um from my point of view it mostly worked fine uh it was unplayable without it but then it worked well with it um james you played on switch right yeah i did um i for the most part found that it worked great i think that you know the game did a good job of holding its frame rate for the most time, even though, you know, the Switch hardware is getting a bit old at this point. Um, I did notice some frame drops when the action got particularly hectic, um, with lots of explosions going on the round, but on the whole, it wasn't that noticeable. I did encounter a couple of bugs, which makes me quite hesitant to recommend the Switch port to anybody looking to play this game. Um, the most notable of this, and I had a look online, and uh, a lot of people seem to be having this issue, is that quite frequently, I'd say three to four times an hour, um, your character will just you will just become unable to rotate your character in a certain direction. For example, you know, every so often I would be unable to move my aim left at all until I held right for about, you know, 360 degrees to almost unwind my character. The bug seemed to put an upper limit on how far left and right you could turn, Where, because if I didn't unwind my character enough, I would find you know, I would stop being able to spin at a certain point, um, at which point, once you hit this upper or lower limit, your character either looks directly up at the screen or directly down, which got me killed a fair number of times while playing through the game. There is not currently a fix for this. Um, I don't think any official word on a fix has come out from the developers. And from what I can see, almost everyone who plays the Switch port experiences this bug. Uh, which I found to be very obtrusive uh, throughout the game. Uh, other than that, didn't have too many problems with it, but that one was really annoying and quite consistent too. So. That is absolutely bizarre. 
Like that that's yeah. that is a really weird bug and one that I would find intensely frustrating. So you can only turn left a certain amount before the game says, no, nah, you've turned left enough. That is yeah. weird. That's just Yeah. And then uh, if you t- if if the bug happens and you start spinning right for like a minute, you'll eventually encounter the limit on the right. So you need to spin for thirty seconds. You need to to like yeah, you need to unspin to like (laughs) halfway through you know the range, and then you can move normally again for a while until I don't know you turn too many corridors. It's very bizarre. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, the the only notable bug for me was uh, so even with the fix, I set my sensitivity to one, which is the minimum, and four hundred DPI. I think most people were fine on two cents or eight hundred DPI, but I like my sense low. And whenever a whenever I loaded a game or whenever I came in after a cutscene, uh, temporarily my sense would be freakishly low. And then it would return to a fairly normal level, but that that only affects you for about five seconds at the start of each load. So outside of that, I didn't really have any issues. Yeah, largely I found that the sensitivity on the switch was set to a good baseline level. Um, I would say that it's kind of a problem that like the sensitivity levels are locked to sensitivity level one, two, three, four. There's no sliding scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found at one point I wanted to make it a little bit higher, but, you know, the next notch up was way too far in the other direction. So not having that fine control was a bit annoying, but I got used to it. Um, I'll also say that some of the controls on Switch and console are very finicky. Um, halfway through the game, maybe they introduce these landmines on the floor. Um, that you need to crouch, walk up to, and then hold a button on to disarm them. On the Switch, the button for crouching is pushing in the left analog stick and holding that down while trying to move into the right spot to start disarming was not very comfortable. Um, So with that in mind, you know, I'm not convinced that the Switch port is the best way to go with this one until that they fix those couple of niggling issues. Just on the issue of mines, you can send your squad to defuse the mines. I, there are a couple of spots where you have to do it, but most of the time you won't have to do that. Yeah, well, when they when they first introduced the mines, you don't have yep. your squad with you, um, and that was the main part. But every other time I used them and it was fine, so... Yeah, so yeah, it sounds like if you want to play this game, play on PC. I mean, the game's from 2005, so it will run completely fine, even on like a on a business laptop, I imagine, um, as long as yep. it's got some kind of basic graphics card. So if you're in a position to play it on PC, you should play it on PC. Yeah, one thing that I do think works in the Switch's favor is that the missions are kind of sec- segmented into these little chunks, mm. um, which I found works really well for the Switch because you can just like do a little chunk, put it down, and then come back to it. You know, it made for some really good pick up and play sessions that I had. Um, you know, when I was just waiting for downtime between playing games with friends online. I just pick it up and do a little segment, and that was enjoyable. Yeah, whereas on PC it was frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's the one difference. <laughs> yeah, compared to something like uh, Halo, you know, which came out a couple of years before this on Xbox, uh, when you pass through a, I guess, a checkpoint screen, you don't get a loading screen. It's just you get a thing saying checkpoint, and then the the game continues. So yeah, for for this kind of stuff, I found those frequent checkpoints very annoying. I think it's time to get into some some substantial discussion here. Uh, Let's start with the story. 
So this one's interesting, isn't it? Because rather than playing as, you know, one of the main characters of the Star Wars universe, like a Jedi or something like that, we're playing as, you know, Republic commandos, basically semi-disposable infantry in the military setting. This is kind of right up your alley, right? It is. And in a lot of ways, it has more in common with a Call of Duty campaign than a typical uh, Star Wars story that we normally engage with. Uh, it's just a bunch of soldiers doing a kind of self-contained mission. Um, the world isn't being threatened here in a way that you can tangibly interact with. You're not engaging with these major characters in the Star Wars universe. Your mission is to do something very important, you know, destroy anti-aircraft weaponry. One of the missions has you explore and try and find out what happened to a Republic ship. But this isn't the stuff that is impacting mostly the main Star Wars storyline. These are side missions. And I I love this. I, I think that this is an underexplored thing in video game storytelling overall. It's having a more self-contained, smaller story. And I think this is something that a lot of the movies I love do really well. You get the positives, right? You get the big world building of Star Wars there. You, we get to tap into all of that. But we get a story that makes sense for the characters we have, which are four Republic commandos. Did you feel similarly, James? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I think something that was very notable to me as someone who doesn't, you know, read a lot of this kind of fiction, um, where you don't have these big bombastic story threads that are dragging you, you know, along from beginning or end. This game doesn't have a giant overarching narrative, right? The characters don't have their own personal goals in this game because they're just soldiers. In fact, they're clones. They're clones bred for the purpose of war. And, you know, from their birth to their death, that is all they'll ever experience, really. So a large part of the story and narrative are these self, these three self-contained missions where everything that has happened in the past and what's going to happen to the future is irrelevant to these people because their, you know, moment-to-moment -moment experience in their life is battle. Um, you know, from beginning to end, the only thing that matters to them is their current mission objective. And that really informs, you know, the overarching story structure of Republic Commando. There is no big goal that's given to you at the beginning of the game that gets, you know, re resolved at the end. The characters don't go on big emotional journeys or big, you know, you know, sweeping changes to their characters. They just are here to fulfill their mission. And, you know, that makes total sense, right? That, that's what these characters are. That's what their, you know, their purpose in the bigger picture of Star Wars is. And so I think for me, um, this kind of narrative was like a bit of a novel experience for me. You know, seeing these smaller scale uh, characters have their, you know, smaller impact on the universe at large. So I've got a question for you, James. When we played Call of Duty 1 and I said I quite liked the story, how it put you in the front lines as a soldier... You disagreed. Uh, you you weren't really a fan of that kind of, I guess, moment-to-moment -moment storytelling. Uh, are you saying that this is different because in World War One you're not playing a clone troop, you're playing a human being? Is that what made the difference for you? I think what made the difference to me, and it was probably difficult for me to know it then because that was really one of my first experiences with this kind of narrative, was the quality and the 
like each of the three overarching missions has a very obvious like arc from beginning to end there's lots of mul- there's multiple little objectives throughout the story with your mission changing drastically depending on the situation and i felt like the three big missions in this game formed bigger more cohesive you know narrative structures than the single missions in call of duty 1 um, I also found myself liking the characters in this game more, mm-hmm. even though most of the characterization is idle chatter. Um, the Star Wars aesthetic appeals to me a lot more than, you know, Call of Duty's ones, you know, dull, muted tones. And, well, that's kind of the same here, but... You have the sci-fi fantasy backdrop, right? Like, I think that, that it captures your imagination more, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's that different, and I think this game has shown me that I was probably wrong back then to say that I didn't like it as a whole. I just feel that this game does it better than COD 1 did. Yeah, I basically agree. I, I think it's well done. I think that the storytelling really is at its best in specifically Mission 2. I think Mission yes. 2 is excellent from a storytelling point of view. Um the other two, the first mission, the first mission is hindered a bit by having to be the tutorial mission. Tutorial? Yeah. yeah. And I think that the third mission has some pacing issues. Um, it kind of does start to drag a little uh, in terms of yes. what's going on. But the second mission from start to finish narratively is just superb. Uh, it has a great build up. Uh, so, James, I think we've got to be careful. I think the storytelling is an important part of this game. So we might get into specific spoilers a bit later after the gameplay. Uh, does, yep. Yeah, but but I will say that the storytelling in this game overall is is quite excellent. And I think that experiencing Mission 2 in particular was a highlight for me. Yeah, I do think that it is inconsistent um, with its storytelling and the strength of it throughout the story, like you mentioned. Particularly at the start of the game, I felt that while the tutorial was happening, and that for me was about an hour to 90 minutes, there really wasn't very much happening story-wise at all because it was almost deferring to the tutorial. Um, you know, A lot of the game narratively for me is the character chatter between the four commandos, and at the beginning of the game I felt that that was largely absent, which kind of hurt it like hurt my first impression of the game pretty significantly. It was only when I got near the end of the first mission and then into the second one where I really, you know, it got its claws in me and I really started to like it. And as you said, I think the second mission is fantastic um, and easily the best of the three. There's a montage at the start where it shows you like as a baby and then a bit of your training, but it lasts like a minute and a half. And I feel like this is a missed opportunity to introduce your fellow soldiers. But I I guess the whole point of the story is that you meet them on the mission. Like you don't actually meet them because you've all been trained under different wings. But but still, it's like if they had offloaded some a little bit of character development at the start there, I felt like it could have gone a long way to get you immediately invested in your team. Um, I had a couple like smaller points about the story. The, The first is that, you know, earlier we mentioned those frequent loading screens from a story point of view i actually found these quite jarring uh particularly as you reach the end of the of mission or you're at a critical point because what will happen is you will finish like doing this thing where you're defending defending against an attack or whatever then you will cut to a like hard cut to a loading screen 
And then when you press OK, you'll be in a new location. And all you'll get is like just a very brief, you know, this is what the commandos did. Uh, or the commandos successfully defended the bridge and then they exfiltrated. And I found like the the complete lack of a cutscene or even just a more natural fade out as you were exfiltrating kind of hurt my immersion a little bit with those hard cuts. There's one at the very end of the game, which is, I think, an absolutely shocking way to uh, to undersell what, what should be a really emotional and impactful moment. Yeah, I think the end of the game gets the worst for this. There were a lot of points where the loading screens mostly separated small objectives that made up, you know, parts of the mission. And for me, that worked well. Yeah, that's fine, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and then the big jump cuts were a bit weird, especially in the final uh, mission, which I thought there was a lot of them. Um, not too noticeable in the first two, though, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I just found it it irritated me a little bit. I, I It seems strange to me arguing that sh there should be cutscenes here, but <laughs> there, there should be something, uh, and however they were done here was not very good. Yeah, I also want to talk a bit about the characters. Um, maybe not specifics, but like overall, you know, the the tone of the game and the relationship between the characters. Um, a large part of the enjoyment of the narrative is the inter little interactions that you get between these four. They are clones of each other, but they're all specially trained, so they are still they have become their own people i think through this separate training and that shows but at the same time like narratively each of your characters is a specialist like you have a, someone who's specialized in hacking doors someone who's specialized in explosives etc but critically all of you can still do each of these functions just maybe to a lesser degree because of course you are clones of each other you aren't that different even though there has been a little bit of a you know, a personality separation between you all. And I found that that was like kind of a cool thing to explore, although I think they could have gone a bit further into it with showing more similarities and differences. Um, but overall, you know, the, the chatter between the characters was really fun, right? Like these characters, their entire lives are combat missions, basically. And it's very obvious listening to them that they have kind of been like, yeah, this is my life, this is how it is, I guess I may as well enjoy it. Because, you know, constantly as you're fighting and blowing stuff up, they're all talking about how much they love explosions and making, you know, bug guts fly all over the screen and that kind of thing. Whenever you make a mistake, they love to rib you for it. Like, a couple of times I threw a grenade and hit myself and all of them suddenly started laughing at me and commenting about how stupid I was, that kind of thing. I think it does a good job of nailing that kind of like, you know, macho military camaraderie, you know, thing where everyone's giving each other shit, but also, you know, are quite close to each other. Yeah, it's it's a bit of fun, right? I think that's a good yeah. way to put it. I, I don't think it's anything special. Like, mm. I, I don't think these characters are very deep, but the dialogue is well written enough that it's fun and enjoyable. And I was never annoyed by it. I was never like, oh, shut the fuck up. And when I've watched some uh, some things like uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 or Xenoblades, where you have characters with taglines that they say over and over again, I think that that would drive me insane. Here, that never happened. Their quips are varied enough that they're enjoyable. And they're also kind of like to the point. They're not big, long, uh, 
big long exposition bits. It is um it is a little macabre in some ways. Like you're you are just murdering people, and there are some implications there about you know human beings being brought up where their only uh purpose is war and murdering, and they take enjoyment from war and murdering. But I think that for the purpose of this game, it's a good idea not to think too deeply about these things. Really? I thought it was good that they showed all that kind of thing. Like there was this point where they were talking about tracking their kill counts and that kind of thing and how they often like would refer to the enemy factions in these really like almost racist dehumanizing ways Mm -hmm. that make sense for these characters to me. Um, because like they were bred by, you know, to be these kinds of, you know, even in the loading screen tips, they mentioned that they were raised as like anti-social killing machines. Um, and that does come across a lot of the time, which I think helps the narrative. But I don't think it's intrinsically critical of it, I guess is what I'm saying. I think you're meant to just enjoy shooting enemies in this game. You're, it's meant to be an enjoyable romp, right? It's not, you're not meant to be like, my God, they're, they're, they lack any kind of humanity. They're deadly killers. Uh, what is their future when the war is over? I, I don't think it really is exploring that kind of stuff. And that's why no. I say don't think too deeply about it. It's not that it's not done well. I agree with you that, that it's done well. I'm just saying that the, I guess, the moral implications aren't really explored. And it's not it's not a meditation on what it means to be a clone trooper. It's a let's murder lots of people and have fun doing it kind of game. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so um that's really I have all I have for story, James. Did you have any other major points? No, not not really without spoilers. Alright, well let's uh let's go to a music break and we will return to the story discussion a little bit later so that people can hear what we think of the gameplay. Uh we just don't want to, you know, spoil it unnecessarily if you are interested in this game. Um, James, do you wanna start with your pick of music and what you thought of the music? Yeah, so I you know, this is a game you know, this is a Star Wars licensed game. Star Wars' music to me is always fantastic. Um I really love the series soundtrack with its deep choir vocals, strings, and horns is very iconic, and I think that the game absolutely delivers in this regard. I think they could have maybe done a better job um, emphasizing the different locations with different pieces of music. You de- do hear the same kinds of things throughout the entire experience, with you know some little exceptions here and there. But on the whole, like it's still great Star Wars music. I still love it. It's still fits the theme of the game um i knew that you were going to go for one of the like the choir heavy sound songs so i wanted to focus a bit more with the tracks that have you know a lot of horns throughout them because you know those are always my favorite listening watching the movies as a kid so i've picked the ras battle long theme yeah it's it's hard for me to criticize it too much because star wars music is just good music it is a mix of uh some bits of john williams score and also some original compositions and i think that the original ones complement the john williams score excellently um the music is great Uh, as james said it does get a bit samey in parts and i think that probably the combat music which is the more intense music sometimes starts playing when you've you know left one enemy alive so it's kind of a bit awkward to have a battle that lasts two enemies and the vocals this you know big bombastic soundtrack sometimes kicks in at what feels inappropriate times but it's hard to hate on star wars music man it's just it's just such high quality so yeah so i i also enjoy the soundtrack 
<laughs> so with that in mind, um, this is the RAS battle theme. Here you go, guys. That was RAS Battle. So, Patrick, it's time to talk a bit about the gameplay. Um, and to me, the most important part about this going into it was this idea that it is a squad-based tactics game um, in first person. So tell me, did this game live up to your expectations tactics-wise? James, this is not a squad-based tactics game. What? At least I, I thought it was. And uh, everyone tells me it's a tactical first person shooter. Hell, Wikipedia tells me it's a tactical first person shooter. But this game's definition of what constitutes tactics is so incredibly babyish and limited that I barely sure it qualifies. To me, tactics implies choice, it implies that you have the choice to do different things. Uh, to arrange your squad differently, to put them in different positions, to give them different weaponry, to change their loadouts, literally anything. If you play XCOM, that is a tactics game because there are good choices and bad choices and a lot in between. This game has basically no decision-making in terms of how you control your squad for almost its entire runtime. I think that the tactics here is very base level. That's not to say it's a bad game, but just straight up, this is not a squad tactics game in the way I was expecting or really hoped. Uh, do you agree, James? Am I, am I off the mark here? I think that you are exaggerating a bit, but not that much, basically, is my feeling listening to you. Because I'm kind of wondering, with my experience playing this game on the Switch, um, this is obviously a first-person shooter, which is obviously, uh, you know, playing on analog sticks in a first-person shooter is obviously not optimal for a lot of people, including myself. Um, although, you know, in the past I've played a lot of console shooters. Um, and because of that, I found myself relying on my squad a lot more than I think you probably were, because oftentimes I just had to use my squad to take out enemies rather than being able to aim at them myself. There were a lot of enemies in this game that flew around very rapidly and uh, erratically. Um, that I, you know, just could not shoot in time. And this forced me to use my squad a lot more than I think I would have on mouse and keyboard. And in a way, I think kind of contributed to this game feeling more like a tactics game to me because there was like this de-emphasis on, um, you know, my mechanical ability to shoot things and more on, you know, using my troops to sort problems out. That said, I kind of agree with you that the vast majority of this game 
doesn't have very much decision making from a tactics standpoint. So the way the game kind of operates is that you have your three, you know, subordinate commandos under you, and oftentimes there will be parts of the level that you can look at and press the interact button um, to send them to go do something. An example is sometime there will be a chest high wall and you can, you know, look at it from the opposite side of the room and click on it. And then somebody will go take up a sniping position there. Um, some doors will need to be hacked, so you can send a commando to go hack the door. Um, there are often things to blow up, so you can send a commando, you know, to go plant some explosives as well. There's a lot of the, these kind of little things that you can interact with to order your troops around to do things. Um, but I would say, and I think this is a large part of where Patrick's feelings on the game come from, is that oftentimes there will only be one thing to interact with, and it's always correct to do that thing. For example, you're in a very narrow corridor and there is a mine on the floor. It's, it's just always correct to tell someone to go disarm the mine, and there'll often be doors, you know, there's no... You know, this is a very COD-style corridor shooter in a lot of ways. Um, so what I wanted from the game was there to be like 20, 30 possible options and for me to figure out, you know, what the best thing to interact with in the right order. And there are some parts of this game, specifically, you know, there's these large shootout sections in these big open hangars or docking bays, uh, that kind of thing that have multiple objectives and you know, turrets and points of interaction. In these sections, I think that Republic Commando for me delivered what I wanted from the tactics side of things, like I had to figure out the optimal way to take things out um, and where to put my troops, but in the vast majority of this game, in its narrow corridors with like one chest high wall, um, there's almost no decision making. It's just putting one dude behind a wall and it's always correct to do that because that wall's there because you need it to be there from, you know, the way the level is structured. So on the whole, I don't think that this game fully delivers on what it promises. However, I did find the bits where it did, these big shootouts and these hangars, to be very enjoyable and tactical. Um, it's just that to me there wasn't enough of that. Yeah, so the game will regularly give you... you, you have three troops. And the game will usually give you two points of interaction. Yep. There's no decision making there. You just click them on the two available spots. Occasionally, as you said, it does open up. And I think that in the 5 to 10% of cases where you have six things to choose from, you get to do some decision making. But otherwise, you're just moving into each area and, you know, pressing the context sensitive button exactly where you can press the context sensitive button. Your, your choice is to do that or not do that. And it's always going to be better to do that than not do it. I think the other big problem is something that you alluded to earlier in the story section, which is that all the soldiers can do everything, including yourself. All of you can lay explosives, all of you can snipe, all of you can hack. And I think that that also hurts the potential tactical options here. Because when you tell your soldiers to do a thing, you're not saying... Hi, my hacking soldier, I would like you to go over to this terminal and do this hacking. You just press the hack button on the hack command and one of your soldiers will go and do that. Uh, usually it is the hacking soldier that goes and does that. And if it is the hacking soldier, he usually does a better job of it. I don't, I don't think he does it any faster. The time windows are, are identical. If it's a 10 second thing, it'll take 10 seconds. 
if you tell your explosives guy to lay explosives, it takes exactly the same amount of time. Uh, because, you know, I might have sent one of my guys to go heal. Once again, you don't say, I would like you to heal. It just auto-figures it out for you. There's, there's no decision-making here. You're just walking up to an area and pressing F on everything that you can press F on. So yep. I was massively disappointed by this. I do take your point about if you cannot aim because you're playing on console against certain guys, <laughs> pressing F on the enemy you want your soldiers to aim at is something at least. Did you often find... Did How often did you do the long hacking things yourself? Oh, n- never. Like, why, why, would yeah. I, why would I do that when I'm a more efficient person at murdering things than my squad? Yeah, see, for me, that wasn't always the case. Like, if there was lots of flying enemies, I often was the one to do the thing and, le- like, left the shooting to my allies because, you know, it was, like, contextual for my playthrough. Uh, there was times when it was way better for me to do the shooting and sometimes it felt a lot better when I had my squad do it. And that kind of gave me this sense of, like, teamwork that, you know, I, I imagine was kind of missing from your playthrough. There was this sense of, my characters relying on each other for different things um, that I got out of the experience. Man, that, that sounds like a real good way to die. Like, I was playing on hard mode, and enemies can one-shot you on hard mode. Like, mm-hmm. guy with a shotgun one-shots you. The super droid with the rocket launcher one-shots you. Turrets, really? oh okay. boy, they one-shot you. So you don't want to be sitting in place completely still for 10 seconds, because you just die. Uh, oh, sometimes I died, and it was kind of tense doing that, but, like, that tension of, like, just trusting your team behind you was kind of fun in some ways. Uh, I only played on normal, for the record. Um, okay. And even then, the turrets probably one-hit whatever they shot at, but that was the only... Um, and the guys with the miniguns, too, but other than that, um, you could set it up in a way if you had, you know... If you could set up a sniper and an anti-armor person overlooking you behind some chest-high walls, then you could, you know, often build enough space um, and defenses for you to do it yourself. You just had to be a bit smart. But, but hold on, on that point, don't you think it's frustrating that your tactical options are so limited by the game saying, oh... Here is an anti-armor wall, so you are allowed to have your trooper use anti-armor. Absolutely, in this spot. like yeah, absolutely. How is that? I, how is that? I I don't know. I can't really get enjoy, enjoyment out of that. What I would have far preferred is like, oh, I can press this button and I can switch everyone to this particular kind of weapon, or I can change the loadout of specific troops and have them stick to that loadout, maybe even with a prioritization thing. So whenever heavy armor is around, I want you to switch to this weapon. Any Anything like that would have made this game more tactically engaging. But for me, it was a wet fart. It basically wasn't there. And while I understand that it might conjure up the illusion of tactics, like I, I guess on a superficial level, there is no depth to this system at all. You've seen everything you have to see within 10 minutes of starting playing this game. I largely agree, but I just want to drill down specifically on the bits, because I I don't fully agree with you. Um, I think that throughout my playthrough, I did get tactical enjoyment, um, and I want to talk about those sections as well. But okay. um, like to your point, all those sections that are just corridors with one point of interaction are just like painfully untactical, and they annoyed the shit out of me, because... I found the difference between those sections that you're describing where there was dis- zero decision-making 
and these sections and these big open hangars. Did you go on level three? Level three had some really good ones. Yeah, like the bridge, for example. Yeah. I loved that section. Um, the hangars in level two, even. I liked those because basically, I agree with you that when the game tells you that this is a sniping wall and you can only use it for sniping, it feels like, you know, there's not a real option there. When there are like eight to ten different walls throughout the room, then it feels like you have decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I think the enemy variety gameplay-wise in this game is a bit hit or miss. Some of them are very boring to fight, but there was the inclusion of one very specific enemy type that is unique to this game that I found immensely enjoyable and was the most fun to fight tactics-wise, and that was basically these big mechanical pods that spawned droids um, that had to be taken out by having someone set a demolition charge on them, and they basically infinitely spawn enemies until you do this. Um, and oftentimes, you know, there would be like two to three of these in one room, and there would also be these big turrets and three to four um, spots where you could order your dude to take, you know, a sniping position. And figuring out the order to take out which pod and which vantage points to use for defense, um, while also trying to conserve your ammo against infinitely spawning often really strong enemies like Super Battle Droids or Droidica, um, was very enjoyable. And it was these parts of the game that I really enjoyed. And if the rest of the game was this good, you know, to me, this would be a fantastic experience overall. But I would say, you know, that these sections are the minority of the gameplay, unfortunately. Um, and on the whole, it does not deliver that tactical experience. But, you know, those, those enemy spawning enemies, I thought, fit in really well to what the game was trying to go for. See, it's interesting because I actually quite enjoyed those sections as well, but I didn't feel like they were de delivering, a, I guess, a deep tactical experience but they were delivering a good moment-to-moment -moment gameplay experience or i guess a better general fps experience than anything else yep. in the game because i had to my positioning mattered more um my target prioritization mattered more but it wasn't i wasn't leveraging my squad in interesting ways to achieve my goals i was just having to play better personally like i was having to throw better grenades and use my grenade launcher better and manage my ammo but in the end i was still just sending up a guy you know to lay explo explosives on the droid thing while efficiently murdering as much as i could so while i agree with you that they were much more enjoyable sections i didn't get much more tactically out of it but i guess if you're playing on console you yeah. have less ability to leverage your personal abilities in those spots yeah, I think that this is the real kicker and the real thing that probably separates our experience with this game here is that I was forced to use my squad a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that, you know, on the whole, ended up making this better. I know at the start of the episode I said maybe avoid the, the Switch version, but the console version to me, it's sounding like is better at delivering uh, on what the game is trying to deliver. Although, you know, even then, it's only a portion of the game time that it does that. So, yeah, I, 
it was particularly bad for me with all of the doors that you have to hack. There are so many and you just have to sit there and wait for like 10 seconds. And there's nothing to do. Oftentimes there's no enemies. You just sit there and wait for a dude to hack the door. It just feels like almost a hidden loading screen at times. There's like, there's lots of that throughout the game of tedious, busy work. Healing your squad. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, it's just like yeah. a minute and a half of directing them back to these healing stations. Man, yeah. I really wished that they had regenerating health. It, it drove me nuts. The, I think the healing stations had merit in the combat zones, but again, when there's just... For some reason, there is, a, there is an area that's obviously where you're supposed to heal, and there is one healing station <laughs> instead of four. It's like, why? Just give me one for everyone. Make, it would speed the game up a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I also didn't like the frequency of having to stop and wait for healing. Although, you know, like, thematically, I kind of like making sure that my squad is, you know, tip-top shape, but the gameplay experience of it was quite unfun. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the the enemies. Um, okay. So enemies come in, I want to say, two varieties. There's your regular fodder enemies that die pretty quickly, and then you have elite enemies or tough enemies or whatever you want to call them that require a lot more punishment, and they tend to require your more powerful weapons to take out. James, did you find that there was enough enemy variety in in the playthrough and how do you think they compared to halo's uh elite enemies uh the the you know things like the brutes and you know the elites do you think that they delivered a more engaging experience than halo or about the same or worse before i go into that i think it's interesting that you bring up the halo comparison because yep. i kind of also was making that comparison a lot i think halo 1 is probably the closest you know other game that i've played to this one you have a regenerating health shield that sits on top of your main health you have a terrible you have, assault rifle <laughs> yeah you have a big you have a variety of alien weapons um that kind of thing and you have a you know a big variety of enemies so with the enemy variety going back to that um actually i think there's more enemies here than in halo 1 but they they don't feel as diverse as the enemies in Halo 1 for a few reasons. Like, the, the difference between the normal battle droids and the big dro battle droids, um, you know, they largely move around the same way. They just stand there and shoot at you. Um, even the droid echo, they roll into position and then they sit there and shoot at you. I think it's enemy behavior and personality that this game is missing a bit compared to Halo 1. Like, the difference between fighting the little grunts and the big, you know, invisible elites that, you know, stalk around and move around erratically, and then the big, slow um, brutes, uh, is very, very pronounced. Whereas I think, like, mechanically and interaction-wise, all of the enemies in this game are kind of the same to fight, other than maybe the the really tanky dudes you need to watch yourself a bit more but like there's a lot of different enemies but you largely fight them all the same way um other than maybe the flying ones so even though there's more i don't think that they contribute that much to a diverse gameplay experience yeah and the elites in halo one have shields and there are certain weapons that are more effective against their shields and then when their yep. shields are down you can change weapons. The hunters in, um, not the brutes, so I meant to say hunters. The hunters in Halo 1 
they have these big sweeping attacks they do that you can get out of the range of. And when you move to a longer range, they've got that big uh, plasma rifles that can do damage at long range. The jackals have shields, so you can't use certain weapons against them. I agree with you, James. Halo 1 has a probably less diverse uh, count of enemies, but those enemies were all meaningfully different in how you engaged with them. Yeah, there is one notable thing in this game um, in terms of like varying your gameplay um, is that different enemies are vulnerable to different types of grenades, of mm -hmm. which there are four or five. You know, the, the EMP grenades were super effective against the droids, but even against the humans, they could disable shields or, oh, sorry, not the humans, the biological enemies, they could, you know, have some effect on them. If even you could even stun your allies with EMP grenades if you threw them poorly. So the grenade thing I thought was cool. I did like, you know, use, using the right one on the right enemy. In terms of your weaponry, however, I largely just used the best gun that was available to me at any given time, unless, you know, going for long-range sniping. The Halo 1 thing where every gun is vastly different against certain types of enemies, I didn't think that was present here to that degree, and I thought it was a bit disappointing, especially considering, you know, you do have the ability to get alien weapons in this game, but, you know, you can only carry one at a time, and then you're st stuck with your three normal weapons. You know, I, I was really missing that, that from Halo 1. Yeah, I, I do. And let's, I, I want to segue a little bit here and talk a bit about the moment to moment shooting because when I first started playing this game, it was fucking atrocious. Like the, the starting weapons you get, the shitty pistol that is not worth using unless you literally run out of ammo of every single other gun you have, and the bog standard assault rifle are both really bad weapons. Like the assault rifle is fine, but it's just got this massive reticle and is very inaccurate even when you aim down the sight it still doesn't feel very good to use and the basic pistol is bad as well i do think it does improve as you as you continue through the game and i did find myself switching weapons multiple times throughout an encounter i'd be like okay grenade launch for this elite bring out my sniper rifle take out that guy raining grenades down change my shotgun because i'm doing a kind of assault throw my relevant grenades uh run in with my shotgun take people out and i think that that did add up to something that i found fun when when it was those once again those larger scale battles where i had to think about what weapon was best for the situation i was in um yep. i just think that as you said the enemies don't demand a different um tactical approach and that's the difference with halo in halo every time you took an action it was a meaningful action to try and achieve your goal in this game it feels more like i don't know it, it feels like like I, I don't have to burst down the shields or anything I'm, I'm doing the same it's the same approach every single time that approach is decently fun but it's not changing up in the way that Halo changed things up. Yeah, and that game had a two-weapon limit that was very meaningful. I mm -hmm. find a lot of games with the two... The weapon limit just exists for consoles to, you know, be consoles. Whereas in that game, it was a very meaningful decision which two guns to bring with you, depending on which enemies you think you would be fighting. And you'd swap it up over the course of a mission. Yeah, a yeah. lot. You would do that a lot. And in this game, you kind of just took whatever special weapon you had available to you. Now... 
One thing I think the game did do a good job of was that whenever you found ammunition, you never refilled the ammunition of everything all at once. And so there are often times where I was like, man, I wish I had some sniper rifle ammo where I was forced to use, you know, a suboptimal gun um, in a long range battle. And that to me did create some kind of meaningful different variation between the gameplay when I was forced to use suboptimal things. And I did really enjoy every time I got a special weapon. Um, I found them all quite fun to use. The beam, there was a big laser beam that you could hold down the button for. There was, you know, a crossbow. The minigun um, was nuts. A min the minigun. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, a pro an, an actual, like, traditional projectile shotgun, um, which I really liked as well. I loved the shotgun, and I'm not normally a shotgun guy. I know I know you love using your shotguns in games, yep. but for me, I tend to prefer, you know, sniping from a distance and taking my enemies out. But in Halo and in this game, the shotgun is very strong. And the more I played this game, the more I was adopting a very hard and fast hitting approach, which I think is actually the optimal way to play this game with the way it spawns enemies in waves and the fact that uh droid spawners become a big problem the further yeah. you get go in it's often the best idea to dump all of your grenades all of you know just kind of clear the room of enemies use all of your ordnance at the start then move your your team up on top of the enemy and you can kind of overwhelm the reinforcements if you do that um and the shotgun is the best assault weapon to to i guess support that aggression so i was using the shotgun as my default weapon whenever i could get my hands on it i was a big fan of it mm. I will, yeah i will agree that the base combat is fun i don't think that the the gunplay is as fun as some other games that i've played but you know as a baseline i enjoyed it like i enjoyed just the process of running around killing things i enjoyed how frantic the game could get at times with lots of reinforcements coming in and as you said sometimes you just have to throw so many grenades to clear out a room desperately um you know i think it was fun i couldn't stand the flying enemies but that <laughs> might just be me as a console player here like i the, the the second level when they introduced the drones that dart around erratically that was when i you know, ate a bit of humble pie and went into the switch options and turned on aim assist that was off, like I turned off at the beginning. Couldn't do it without that. James, I, I can tell you right now, I died to those flying enemies plenty. Uh, okay. Particularly at the start. Uh, so what hard mode does, it doesn't increase the health of enemies, which I greatly appreciate. I, I think that this is a much better way to do difficulty. It just increases your damage taken. And I'd far prefer to be more vulnerable and not have my enemies just gain a gigantic health pool which screws up ammo balancing and you know makes the game more tedious so i appreciate that but it meant that those flying drones were fucking mm -hmm. deadly and if i th there's bits on that second mission where you get ambushed like three and it took me like four times to to finally kill them it was it, it was tough man those <laughs> those flying enemies are very strong so uh yeah don't don't feel bad for dying to them i died to them on pc as well i i do i do have a i guess a minor gripe about the the hit scan gameplay and this when i first started playing i thought this would be a major issue but when i understood better how the game played it was less annoying uh hit scan detection is very wonky so if you hold your cursor over an enemy and you're clearly aiming at the enemy but your cursor doesn't turn red you will not hit the enemy. So 
I don't know exactly how this game works with its projectiles and everything, but I know that it determines if it will be a su- successful hit, not based on whether a bullet would pass through them, but on whether the game decides that they're a valid target when you're hovering over them. And it can lead to a lot of situations where your sniper shot will miss completely. It's mainly a problem with the sniper when it clearly should have hit. And I found that frustrating at first. Um, As the game progressed and I realized that this game was far less about being good at aiming versus being good at you know, spamming the room with explosives, it became less of an issue, but it did, it was an annoyance for me uh, from start to finish. All right, so I want to talk a bit about uh, the level design, but before that, let's go to a quick music break. Patrick, I think it's your turn to pick a song from the, you know, mostly excellent soundtrack. Yeah, and I've selfishly chosen the most melancholic atmospheric track. You know, we have to get one of these in every episode, James. So, uh, I've gone with the track Ghost Ship, which, uh, you know, plays as you enter the ghost ship. So, you know, naturally it's all a bit spooky. Hope you enjoy. ghost ship so i guess that's a good theme to pick because i kind of wanted to talk about level design and this level as well in particular at some point but i wanted to say that this game being in first person naturally leads to some level design that works a lot better for this squad style gameplay than others and it, it annoyed the absolute shit out of me how much of this game took place in narrow corridors that inevitably led to um, your characters walking in front of you while you were lining up a shot. It happened to me, like, constantly throughout the gameplay. Like, the level design did not feel like it supported four characters in, in a lot of it, and it was really only in these big open sections that I loved so much where this wasn't a problem for me. I was really quite surprised how many narrow linear corridors there were. Yeah, the level design in this game is, uh, once again, extremely disappointing. This is the problem with Xbox FPS games. Like, they just, when they were designing in this era, they, they had to put all these limitations on how they designed levels. It's why... Now, we just spoke about Halo. Like, that game didn't have this problem. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Halo does have some superb outdoor areas, but it still has also has a lot of indoor areas. 
on yeah, it. Yeah, but it doesn't have squad mates, so that's it doesn't right. Matter, and right? even those yeah. indoor areas are more open than the ones in this in this level. And you've only you're only one guy, and maybe two in co-op versus four. I detest this level design. I I think that it, this ties in closely to what we were talking about about the tactical options. I can imagine this game, if it was a PC game with squad tactics, you would have things like flanking. You'd be like, all right, I want you to go up in this window while we creep around this other side, and you're going to unload some flanking fire when we initiate the combat from literally the other side of this big open area. That never happens. There's nothing even remotely resembling that in this game. It's always you and your squad at an end of an area and the enemy at the other end of the area. Even when I tried to do something like put a guy on a turret in the high ground while we assaulted from the low ground, he got off the turret by himself because the <laughs> game didn't support me having someone in this upper section on a separate part of the level. It was very frustrating. I had it all set out and he just leaves the turret and comes with the rest of the squad. So yeah, the, the level design in this game sucks. You see good moments of level design in that 5% of the time it opens up into open air, more open areas and it starts to resemble a decent Halo level. But for the most part, uh, the level design really holds this game back from reaching its true potential, in my opinion. In terms of gameplay, to me, this is absolutely true. I did think that in terms of like narrative beats and like what you were doing in the levels, the, you know, the level design and the objective of design was actually quite varied. Like sometimes you are in these hangars blowing up the force doors to close them to prevent enemies, you know, boarding your ship. Sometimes you are, you know, shooting these big tree branches down to block doorways. You know, I, I felt like visually and you know, narratively, the level design mm. managed to be quite varied. Sorry to interject, but I, I just want to completely agree on that point. I think that they did a lot, considering your options are mostly hack or blow this thing up. Like, there's another level where you release poison gas on your enemies. Well, and, you know, you're all in helmets and suits, so it doesn't affect you. Uh It, it, does, it, it does a lot clever in that regard. So, sorry, James, you can continue, but I just want to give my affirmation for that point. Yeah, and that did a lot to me to kind of mask how repetitive the gameplay was. Like, as you said, um, mechanically, the difference between me um, releasing gas on my enemies, calling up a lift, shutting down force fields, all of these things were just me pressing A on an interactable computer screen mm -hmm. and having my guy go hack them. But... You know, because narratively and, you know, you know, spectacle wise, it's so varied. I think that took the edge off a lot for me. Um, like if all these things have been exactly the same, like often was the case with the doors, um, it would have hurt the game a lot. But, you know, because there's a big objective variety and there's a, always I found there was a good narrative backing and you know supporting idea for what you were doing in the level i think even though mechanically what you're doing is very samey from start to finish um you know i do remember different parts of the game as standing out in my mind because of it and it actually made the levels a lot more fun for me the um i yeah like i said completely agree i think that that illusion that it conjures does get undermined a bit with its preponderance of saying do x thing three times though 
There's yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, blow up the three anti-aircraft things, hack the three things, do the three things. And I feel like it happens even more in a mission three than the other missions. And I'm like, God damn it. Why do I have feels to like keep padding, right? Feels like padding. Yeah. And, and that's the part of the problem with the pacing we mentioned earlier. Like for the most part, it's well paced, but it's like, I, I still feel they could have shaved more off this game. You've started, it starts to get repetitive towards the end. Um, I, I did have a question here, James. So there are points in this game where you get separated from your squad mates. It's not you with your squad mates all the time. I've heard people say that these are the weakest points of the game. And I kind of get where they're coming from because, you know, you basically lose all the squad interaction and it just becomes a first person shooter. But I enjoyed these because they because they gave me a different kind of experience and i really enjoyed the process of gaining and losing squad members affecting the type of experience i was having so even though in and of itself i kind of do agree that it's less interesting when you don't have your squad members i think that having that distinction actually gave more meaning to actually getting them back it was funny. I was playing on my Switch while sitting in Discord with one of my friend groups um, the first time this happened. Mm -hmm. And I laughed out loud when it happened because I was like, wow, the cool squad-based tactics game is delivering some innovative gameplay of being by myself in corridors <laughs> shooting enemies. Uh, I, I was not impressed when this happened the first time, particularly because I was playing on console and I had to resort to aiming at things myself. Right. Uh, I found these sections to be significantly more difficult because of that. Um, like, especially the first time they introduced the drones when you don't have your squad. Mm -hmm. That section took me, like, a really long time to get through yep. uh, because, you know, I just couldn't deal with them very efficiently. Um, I do agree, however, that it does make you appreciate your comrades more, right? Like. Yep. Whenever I got them back, I felt this huge sense of relief um, and, you know, happiness to have them. It does make you appreciate your squad a lot more um, than when you don't have them. But man, you know, these were still my least favorite parts of the game and the parts of the game which I was having the least fun. Um, yeah, because... So, so I think that I actually really like the way it's done on Mission 2 because I think that in order to deliver the experience I want to deliver, it's much better to have you on your own at the start. I yep. think it's a misstep on at the very, the very final mission where as you're confronting the final challenges, you're, you're literally having less and less squad members with every, and the further you get into it. I was like, and I get that there's a symmetry there where at the start you are getting squad members and at the end you're, you're losing them as they're, you know, getting on these anti-aircraft turrets as you go. But for, as, as a way to like, as, as a gameplay climax, it felt very bizarre. Like, I, I don't know why they settled on, you having you know no squad members at the final stretch it it doesn't it do didn't really make much sense to me yeah i would have liked to uh have you getting them all and then confront like some kind of huge final boss style droid instead they just you know it's just you and one guy against a spider droid which is <laughs> so quite bad. challenging 
And then at the very end, I think, did they introduce a new enemy in the very final corridor with those little things? I don't think I'd No, seen... they were right at the start. You're talking about the little bugs, right? Yeah, I feel like I hadn't seen the small ones. They were in mission one. There were these eggs that they were hatching from, but you could avoid them. But yeah, right. they, they appear right at the start of the game, right at the end, and nothing in between. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, that's cool, and then realized how much harder it was to deal with them with just myself. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad it doesn't happen too often. Like, I do think it probably does need to happen at least once, and I will agree with you that narratively, with Mission 2, it does make sense, and it makes the level better uh, because of the way it's structured. Can we talk about level 2? Because I... yeah. Think it's the best so, part of the game so so everyone this is now spoilers i i think we've spoken enough to give you an idea of what we liked about the game and what we didn't um in brief it's a recommend for me if you're into the story and world of star wars and want kind of an interesting take on it that's a bit different from what you've seen before i think the gameplay is competent but mostly uninspired and it doesn't deliver on its promise of a tactical shooter so I can't recommend this for gameplay reasons, but the story is decent enough that this is a decent little game to play. Yeah, and I, I mostly agree, although I do think I'm a fair bit higher on this game than Patrick is. I actually ended up enjoying it quite a bit, but we'll we'll give our full final impressions later. For now, we'll go into spoilers, and we're going to be talking about... Mission 2 in particular, which I thought was fantastic. I knew that you would love this mission because it's got that kind of like tense feeling at the start. Um, basically, the gist is uh, there is a Republic cruiser stranded out in the middle of space. Um, you cannot get in contact with it. It's not responding to radio or comms in any way. So it's your job to land on the ship and then figure out what's happened. Now, when you get there, it's very dark, all the lights are off, uh, there's no signs of life anywhere, and you very quickly get split up from your crew uh, in what ends up being a fairly tense, you know, crawl through these piped tunnels and, you know, little access ways uh, while being you know the guts of the ship yeah the guts of the ship while becoming increasingly suspicious that there's something wrong here um i thought this was great like it's in complete darkness you need to use your light vision uh the way they built it up you know it kind of reminded me of that bit in halo one when they introduced the flood mm. um it's very tense and i really liked the creepy you know, slowly drawing towards the answer kind of direction the story took. There's a little moment, and this is just a little moment, but I really liked it. So you you walk into this this hangar bay and these birds fly out and your guy, the who's boss, he's immediately critical. He's like, bloody birds, these guys need to get their act together. And then moments later, you're on the radio and someone else, uh, I think it's the scorcher guy the explosive guy he mimics your thoughts back to you on the radio yeah and i thought like that's that's a really good moment like when he was when you were speaking you were you know you shared your point of view then the other commando had a similar experience on his side of the ship and he mimics your point of view exactly because you're hardcore commandos and you hold yourself to a higher standard as like that's just a delightful little moment of dialogue that I just found was perfect. Also, they're clones of each other, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah, I like that too. And then um, I think one of my favorite pieces of dialogue, like 
As you get into the ship, you first discover these scavenger drones that attack you. They fly about and shoot you with electricity. And then um, you find out that the ship has been overtaken by Trandoshians, which are like a lizard-like race. And there's this moment where you're crawling through this vent and you find a Trandoshan holding uh, another commando or like another clone hostage. And he blasts him to bits using a shotgun. And your character remarks, I didn't think anybody still used projectile weaponry because it was like a real shotgun, not like a laser or anything like that. And I thought that was really funny. Um, and then like you pick one up and you're like, oh, actually, it is kind of like laser weaponry. I didn't realize Trandoshans were so sentimental. Yeah, they, they got a shotgun in the, into the Star Wars universe. Good work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I thought this level was fantastic from beginning to end, the journey to get your squad back. It's also darker, right? Like, this is much darker in tone than most Star Wars stuff, but it never felt, uh, like, gratuitous. Yeah. It just felt appropriate for the for the setting it was in like the way that you go into the trash compactor and the drones are harvesting the 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 troops to recycle their armor and everything it just felt thematically on theme and as james said that process of gradually getting your squad back together over time you have to rescue one from a prison cell it it just it just flowed really nicely and had a fantastic climax uh you know, it, it had the the mini climax of the uh, enemy ship arriving. It yep. just just boom, and then all of a sudden you're in defense mode. Great narrative arc. Uh, it starts off spooky and then turns into an action thing later. Just just perfect from start to finish from a narrative standpoint. Loved it. Yeah, and I think the thing that helped it for me was that those bits that I liked with the more open battles, there was a, a fairly high density of them near the end of the mission. It was a lot of them. Yeah, there was a lot in a row, which made me enjoy them a lot more. Like, specifically um, with the force field doors, blowing them up while also dealing with all the droid spawners, I thought was fantastic, because dealing with the droid spawners was my favorite part of the game by far. And you had um, multiple targets, right? You had to figure yeah. out a way to prioritize all these different things. It's yeah, like, and that can, was can when... I can I go straight for the for the force fields? It's like, well, no, I probably can't. I need to take out at least one of these droid dispensers before I can actually uh, deal with the overarching uh, thing, which is you know dropping the droid spawners. So I agree that that was a tactically interesting decision. Yeah, those are the best parts of the game, um, and narratively, Mission 2 is the strongest by far, I thought, and, you know, for me, easily made, like, by itself made the game worth playing, I think, even though I don't think Mission 3 and 1 were as strong, I thought from beginning to end, Mission 2 was really good. Okay, now let's talk about the, to me, the shittiest part of the story. Um, so, spoilers, obviously. Uh, at the end, you one of your squad mates dies. Um, and this is what I was alluding to earlier when I felt like the story completely undermines what should be an impactful moment. So you're, you've, three of you have, have, uh, have grouped up, and then over the radio, you hear Sev is in a lot of, a lot of trouble. Um, you basically are like, oh, we need to go rescue them. But then you get orders, and the orders are, nope, leave him to die. It's time for us to go. You one of your squad mates briefly says something like, we shouldn't leave him behind. Then you hear, well, orders are orders. Boom, cut to splash screen. And I was like, 
what the fuck? That's all you gave me? We didn't have an argument. We didn't get upset. We didn't try to rescue. One one squad trooper didn't go rogue and try to rescue him. It's just like you say, I don't want to do that. Then cut to a splash screen saying, well, you know, orders are orders. And then it ends. I was in shock. I'm like, why have you ruined? Yeah. Why have you ruined what should be? the climax of your emotional storytelling. Because I saw this shit coming a mile away. I was like, one of them is going to die at the end. Like, there's no way this is not happening. And I was fine with that. And I, there's such a good potential here for there to be this, like, narrative tension between the characters as people and the cold, hard reality that they are semi-disposable clones, right? Like, Mm. there is a tension between them accepting their nature as meaningless clones and fighting against that as people who have specialist training and have, you know, they're mostly their own personalities in a way. I really thought that that was going to be a big thing in the final level, and for it to be this, like, two-minute conversation that basically resolves instantly without any interesting dissent was a huge letdown because I was looking forward to this moment because I thought it was going to play out like this and I think they really dropped the ball with the climax here. Yeah, and for the record, I didn't really care which way it went. Like, if they left him to die, that's actually fine. That That isn't my problem. It's the execution of it. This should be a more meaningful moment where they're abandoning their comrades. And what's more, it kind of hints at it. Like, it's not like everyone's just cold and distant and orders and orders. They are upset at having to leave him behind, but they're, like, mildly upset. (laughs) It's it's just a weird tone where they don't fully commit to it. I think Scorch was pretty upset about it. Uh, yeah, but we was... didn't get to explore it, I guess, because it just cuts to that fucking splash screen. And, yeah. and then and then you get a final like post thing saying, yep, you guys were really good. What you did today is what got us to, is what allowed us to launch this full-scale invasion, and the game ends. It's like, what? I actually liked, <laughs> because the game ends with them being like, oh, what you did on this planet set up for a huge Republic invasion actually you're not going back to base you're going back into the fray immediately like mm-hmm. it kind of solidified this narrative beat that these characters exist for war and that downtime you know who cares like there's more war to do so you're just gonna yeah. keep doing combat forever that's your lot in life yeah that's a fair point i i buy that james they're not going on holidays afterwards right like y- yeah it's not like we've we've done it boys back back to base for yeah we've done it and... boys it's finally over it's like no like this is no. never going to be over until you're dead basically yeah yeah no that's a good point um but yeah really like at that point even though i agreed with the way it ended there I was still quite sour from a few minutes ago uh, by the shitty handling of losing one of them. Overall, I, I do think that the um the story is well done though. Like there's a yeah. lot there's a lot to like here. And I think the the decision to keep it low-key and contained is a big part of that. So yeah, bravo on the storytelling. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Okay, so I think it's about time to wrap things up. So, Patrick, how did you feel about Republic Commando on the whole? Uh, very mixed. This is this is definitely uh, one of the 7 out of 10s where 
it's a 7 out of 10, not because it does some things brilliantly better than everything else, but is weird and hard to understand. It's a 7 out of 10 because it's kind of a mediocre game. So the storytelling is good, and the moment-to-moment gameplay is decent, but it just doesn't fulfill the dream of being a tactical shooter. It's way too simple. The level design is far too limited, the enemy AI is far too limited, and the enemy variety doesn't really force you to engage differently. You get peeks into how good this game could have been uh, when you get into those more open areas because they are genuinely fun to play through. Like, everything kind of comes together. And even when the, I guess... Mo- the the shooting in and of itself isn't fantastic it doesn't matter as much because when you're in those big open areas it's less about your individual shooting and more about you know how you've positioned your squad and what weapons you're using and all that stuff it doesn't really deliver on that experience enough in a positive way for me to give this an overall recommend to someone who you know is doesn't really have an interest in star wars or you know these older fps games it is a recommend to those who who do love star wars who want to see an angle of star wars that i don't normally see and the story is strong enough to support that and i do think that the gameplay is okay enough like it's not so bad that you can't get enjoyment from the story and you can't play it from start to finish and not get enjoyment from so it's a recommend to those who love star wars or want to see a different angle of star wars Uh, You suffer through the okay to decent gameplay in order to enjoy the narrative. So decent little game, didn't hate it. And that's kind of where I fall as well, where that 7 out of 10 description is kind of perfect for me because it is like a competent game, and that's how I would describe it overall. It's competent, but it isn't a, you know, it's nothing super special, I don't think. There are elements you know, of something greater here, but it's all dispersed between, you know, decent to good gameplay with the occasional really great gameplay. But the 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 vast majority of the game is just good to, you know, pretty good. It's not fantastic from start to finish. I think that Mission 2 narratively is fantastic start to finish. I think that all of the big open set pieces are fantastic, but the vast majority of the game is narrow corridors with, you know, decent but not great shooting mechanics against competent but not great you know ai with competent but not incredible uh character interaction um it's just mostly a good fun game from start to finish but it's not like it's not going to blow your mind and as patrick said if you're not really into star wars and you don't have any interest in this kind of military angle that the game is going for i really can't recommend it but it's also at the same time like i can't say i didn't enjoy myself you know which i did and sometimes i really enjoyed myself it's just that in a world with dozens of incredible gameplay experiences, it's kind of hard to sell this one as being better than something else you could play, I guess. But I had fun, and at the end of the day, I guess that's all that really matters, right? So if you do like Star Wars and you do care about this you know, commando uh, aspect and you do have an interest in a game where you get most of your enjoyment from commanding your team, then... I can give this game a recommend pretty easily, but it's not going to blow your mind, and I kind of agree that going into it expecting heaps of tactics is a bit of a mistake. Something like, 
you know, Freedom Fighters on the PS2, I think does a much better job in that Halo regard. does a better job. Halo <laughs> kind of does a better job. I um, think so. I think the tactical gameplay in Halo, where you are just playing as yourself, has more depth to it than, than this game Yeah, does. in a sense it kind of does. Yeah, so... Um, you know, it's a good game, um, but it won't blow your mind, and that's really where I fall on it. It has made me crave a new version of this, though. Like, oh, I, I play, I, I I play don't... a sequel to this, like, straight away, yeah. yeah. If they can really build on this stuff, like, I, I think that if if I had more freedom to configure my squad, if they made them lean more heavily into their specialties, like, I could definitely get a lot more enjoyment out of this, even if they didn't improve the shooting. And I think that's a big takeaway for me. At the start, the shitty shooting was a major part of my disappointment. And over time, that kind of faded. Like, I stopped giving a shit about that because that's just not what this game is about. It, in fact, in some ways, it needs to be a bit mediocre to emphasize the other parts of the gameplay experience. It's just, I, it doesn't deliver, as you said, on that tactical nuance that I wanted so dearly. Yeah, funnily enough, I kind of, from this discussion, would almost think that it's better on console, <laughs> which is a weird thing for me to say about no, an FPS. I know what you mean, right? Yeah, it is a bit like that. So that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about uh, Star Wars Republic Commando. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I've been joined by James Turlings. Um, we are the Retrospectives Podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our episodes, all 85 of them. Man, we've been going for a while now, as uh, <laughs> well as a bunch of articles that James and I have written over the years about old games and new. Um, most importantly, we would love if you would drop by our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we do most of our community interaction. We take requests for new games. Uh, I slag off games that I don't like and get a lot of flack for it, but that's okay. We're used to that. <laughs> and um, we'd love to hear what you think of this episode or any other episode that you've listened to. Um, even if you're extremely critical, just be aware that we will be critical in turn. We We thoroughly enjoy talking video games and our discord server is the best place for us to do it so episode 85 out of the way what are we doing for episode 86 james what are we playing over the next fortnight well it's interesting that you mentioned discord because we had one of our new users ask when are you guys playing mario kart um so of course this next fortnight we are playing diddy kong racing instead what a bait and switch <laughs> yeah. what a bait and switch <laughs> so um, yeah jo join our discord server guys so we can ignore your suggestions and do something slightly kind of different similar. <laughs> yeah well what a what a sell james what a sell well see the thing is i wanted to play like when he mentioned mario kart i was like i do like mario kart a lot but i think the format of our show lends itself best to games that have a good story mode um and i think that diddy kong racing is a mario kart like game that has a story mode um that will work a lot better for it than you know mario kart will which i'm not saying we'll never go back for one of them but to me this is a more interesting discussion piece <laughs> so sorry about that but you know uh, I played this game as a kid a bit, actually, um, and I always really liked the idea of uh, playing a racing game that goes between, you know, planes, cars, and boats, which it does in this. Um, have you got any experience with Diddy Kong Racing at all, Pat? Yeah, so everything I know about this game, um, there's a content creator I follow called The Beast. Um, I discovered his stuff through watching. He's a fantastic uh, Mario Maker player. He plays a lot of custom Kaizo levels. Very enjoyable to watch. 
Uh, he recently started a series, I guess not too recently now, because he's done about 70-odd games, where he started a quest to play literally every single Nintendo 64 game, uh, including the Japanese exclusive ones, where he has to like get out a translator and nice. translate every single screen <laughs> of text, including like the farming simulators and fishing simulators and everything. And it's it's a great series. If you've got any interest in Nintendo 64 games, I think I think it's wonderful. And he um and it's random. So every every single time he does a random game from the Nintendo sixty four catalog. So he did uh, Diddy Kong Racing not too long ago. I watched the video and it looked pretty good. Um, but the more I watch all these racing games, I I keep thinking, James, why did we do F Zero GX for Episode Six as my first <laughs> racing game? Why did we do? the hardest most complicated game as my very first racing game i feel like things are beginning easier with every successive entry oh you know it's just it's all for show right (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty entertaining from my point of view even though maybe that game got a bit more flack than it deserved to (laughs) yeah but but from what i saw of diddy kong racing it looks it looks like a pretty good game like i like the idea of having different carts the the balloon power up system seems really interesting. Um, yeah, I it looks like a it looks like a good game, and those boss battles look legitimately really tough, hard. So, yeah, so I'm kind I'm kind of a bit scared of them. But uh, overall, yeah, this is a game that I don't hate that you chose. So you've done well. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see you guys next fortnight for Diddy Kong Racing. Thanks for listening. Adios, everyone.